1: Welcome to the New Books in Business History. I am Paula de la Cruz Fernandez, your host today. This is a new series in the New box Network, and if you're interested in being interviewed either in English or Spanish, please contact me via Twitter at CruzMosu, C-R-U-Z-M-O-S-U, or at the Business History Conference uh, Twitter at the BHC News. I am joined today by Dr. Paloma Fernández-Pérez. She is a PhD in history from UC Berkeley, professor of economic history at the University of Barcelona. She is currently also a member of the academic board of the Emerging Markets Institute of the University of Cornell and invited project professor of the University of Kyoto in Japan. She is the founder and co-editor-in-chief of Journal of Evolutionary Studies in Business, recently accepted for indexation in the Scopus database of journals. Uh, Today, we will discuss her new publication, The Emergence of Modern Hospital Management and Organization in the World, 1880s to 1930s, published in 2021 by Emerald Publishers. Welcome, Dr. Fernández-Pérez. It is an immense honor to have you here with us.
0: Uh, the honor is mine. Uh, this is a, a very welcome opportunity to to let others know about uh, the, the history of the emergence of uh, modern hospital organization and management. So uh, I'm really very thankful for, for this opportunity.
1: Thank you. Um, your book is a comparative analysis of the history of modern hospitals, uh, but most importantly it is a comparative history of how hospitals in very different countries such as the US, Spain, Germany and Japan have developed uh, model models of uh, modern hospital management. The emergence of modern hospital management and organization in the world is a study of the long term. It studies over five decades of changes and adma- advancements of uh, how medicine is organized and administered. And it gives us a very good sense of the reasons to explain how hospitals in different nations react to catastrophes or pandemics, very uh, timely, or um, any kind of health phenomenon. Um, So, please, Dr. Fernández-Pérez, tell us a bit more about how your book came about.
0: Yeah. Uh, In fact, uh, the research for this book uh, started in 2016, well, many years before the current pandemic. And I must confess, That I was uh, trying to do something uh, from a historical perspective connected with uh, research that uh, Michael Porter uh, had been doing in previous years uh, from Harvard about uh, the key problems that our societies are facing uh, regarding the situation of the health uh, care system in the world. And I was admiring very deeply uh, the work of uh, professor porter and i had been following him when he was studying the evolution of industrial districts and about the competitiveness and the wealth of nations and suddenly i was shocked because professor porter had changed his research from the wealth of nations to the health of nations and i was like shocked and say yes yes that's exactly something relevant that my students or my fellow citizens uh, would care about, that I am not doing uh, or I'm not seeing that anybody is doing uh, the way I was expecting to be done in, from a historical perspective. So my curiosity was, uh, is there any way to change my own research From the history of families in business, how families overcome poverty and become wealthy or competitive, and start seeing how health has been improving in terms of uh, a change in organization. So, I started my research uh, about the evolution of uh, modern companies in the pharmaceutical sector. I was very uh, interested in studying the origins of family businesses in labs uh, in Spain, but also in Latin America. And I read a lot about Luka Lambo's work, about big, large pharmaceutical corporations in the U.S., or a lot of work about the origins of a lot of family-owned labs in Germany or in Japan. So while I was studying my small family labs in Spain... I came to ask myself to what extent the growth of uh, family laboratories and small pharmaceutical companies, how their growth could be determined by the growth of um, hospitals at the local or regional level. I asked myself, maybe the labs remain small, many, uh, for many years because their hospitals were traditional, small, maybe poorly managed. Maybe the managers of hospitals were not uh, an efficient demand to the local hospitals. So was there any connection between smallness in labs and a smallness or primitive organization of hospitals at the local level? So I started reading what I had more uh, at, close to my hands, which was Barcelona Labs and Barcelona Hospitals in Spain. And I discovered wonderful archives of family labs and wonderful archives of hospital labs. But once I started like digging on the uh, minutes of the council boards of these companies and these hospitals, I started to ask uh, another question, which was, is this uh, original of Barcelona the the kind of things that I was discovering in the archives of hospitals and labs uh, only happen in Barcelona or um, um, do we know something about how hospitals became modern or how small companies in the lab in the pharmaceutical sector became modern in other countries so that's that was the starting point for a vast uh, search on secondary sources, a lot of bibliography. I discovered that there were thousands of work about uh, special hospitals, about the special companies, but that there was something missing, which was comparing, comparing the history of modern hospitals across territories, across countries, across continents. So. The more I read, the more I asked myself if there were patterns, if there were some shared uh, features that we could discover by comparing the history of several modern hospitals. I found something extraordinary, uh, thanks to the Internet, which was the wealth of digitalized information that I could find in the U.S., There were many uh, minutes of the board of the New York hospital that I could download and study the accounts of the New York hospital, uh, accounts of German hospitals, accounts and minutes of the boards of Japanese hospitals. So I started to realize that thanks to the Internet, Thanks to the vast effort and investment in digitalizing many sources of the archives of many hospitals, it could be possible to compare for similar years, similar issues and similar uh, types of research questions. So I focused uh, when I started collecting many digitalized sources from Latin America, North America, Western Europe and Asia, I started trying to reduce the number of questions I was trying to find an answer to with the sources I was collecting. and um, I concentrated on the management of hospitals because there's a lot of things you can study about the history of modernization of hospitals. But because there's so much, I wanted to be more simplistic and focus on management. Why management of hospitals? Why about the modernization of management of hospitals? Because, and this was something I started to realize more intensely when the COVID pandemic started, When I was finishing all the time of research and reading of secondary and primary sources, then, yes, uh, COVID started, the pandemic. And then I saw in the news every day in Spain, in Latin America, in the US, everywhere in the world, that it was crucial how hospitals were managed because if uh, hospitals were not managed properly, then big inefficiencies could cause many deaths. Uh, how to organize the equipment? How to organize uh, personnel? How to organize uh, the necessary uh, health equipment and medicines? How to connect hospitals with pharmaceutical labs in order to guarantee or try to guarantee the supply of vaccines or other uh necessary elements for the sick like oxygen in latin america so crucial we in the western world we don't talk about uh oxygen in the but in peru for instance if you read the newspapers about the promise of COVID in peru they don't have enough oxygen it's not just about um, vaccines (laughs) they don't have enough access to the production of oxygen gas in order to prevent people from dying of respiratory diseases and complications. So uh, it was an issue about how public management could coordinate with the private management of healthcare centers, private and public, which was, I realized, so path dependent. So the work I had been doing since 2016 started to have some really important meaning for myself. Because, as always, uh, present problems can be understood by studying history. History explains uh, why some problems seem to be something that cannot be solved, because there are inertia, there are obstacles that have been created at the institutional level a 100 years ago. So that's why I started writing my book in the middle of the pandemia. I had finished reading all the archives and sources and books by the early 2019. So 2020, I had the sad opportunity to be locked down at home and have the time to think what I'm going to write about is try to understand the origins of modern facilities or modern problems to manage hospitals. Hospitals are like... uh train stations. They're large infrastructures that once they are created, they cannot be changed. It's very difficult to close a hospital and start a new one, especially big general hospitals, big acute acute general hospitals. So most of the largest hospitals in the US, in Japan, everywhere in the world, I discovered myself that many, maybe one third of the largest in the world had been created a hundred years ago. Yes, reform, expand, so on. But the origin of most of the largest ones were 100 years ago. So the architectural design was done 100 years ago. The facilities or the obstacles for the movement of patients and doctors and nurses and uh, healthcare staff, all the facilities to move uh, were also designed 100 years ago. And in many ways, the, the ways quality in the healthcare services was controlled in many ways it was also designed 100 years ago i discovered that 100 years ago in the us and in many countries in the world many doctors and many politicians were extremely worried about standardizing about controlling the quality about improving the productivity improving the efficiency of the services especially in times of war and pandemia that were all the inheritance we have received afterwards in peaceful times uh, in order to know how to manage hospitals. So that was why I started my book.
1: <laughs> well I think um, I think it is a fascinating story and um, I was I was surprised to learn about all these different examples, but also about how all these different examples are, also in a way connected right you argue that um, the birth of modern health management is comparable with you know with um, and coincides in time with other historical processes of business organization and and integration and um, could you Tell us, maybe with a couple of examples. Um, you talk about Charité in Berlin, which which I actually visited, not because I wanted to, but um, and then um, maybe another example of how how this process happened. How you know how is a modern hospital created, um, and how does professional management of hospitals come about? And um, you know, maybe Germany, Japan. Some of the examples that you that you write about,
0: sure. It's really interesting because uh, when I first started reading, uh, I interviewed several doctors, and and they all agreed that there was a common model that they all tried to imitate. That, according to them, that common model was uh, some U.S. models of standardization and professionalization of uh, personnel and hospitals. Uh, so my initial idea was that there was a model that was initiated in the U.S. 100 years ago that spread in the world like uh, industrialization. You know, that when we study the history of industry, we also think that there were two, three centers where new steam machines emerged and then they started spreading, expanding into the world from England to the European continent. And then the steam machines and the new textile machines traveled to the US and slowly uh, in a second or third wave to the rest of the world. So I thought initially that that's what happened in terms of the ideas about modernization of hospitals. That there were one, two centers, the US, Germany, that were like the centers where new ideas emerged about how to modernize management of hospitals. And that the rest of the world simply tried to imitate and did it slowly in the last 100 years. But the more I read, the more I doubted, that the idea those doctors had in mind (laughs) and uh, the perception they had was really loyal to reality. Uh, The more I read, the more I discovered the complexities and the path dependencies of different territories. So answering your question, how different uh, the models in Germany or Japan or the US? Extremely different. Because every model had to do with uh, answers to local needs, local needs that emerged in different periods of time and that were intrinsically generated by different reasons. Example, in the US, uh, or, or I'd rather start with Germany, Germany is the, had several wars against France during the mid 19th uh, century, the Franco-Prussian wars. After those wars, which were very bloody, the Prussian army, the military, decided that they had to order the health assistance to the soldiers and also to the citizens. There were many illnesses that had to do with infections and with blood losses. And the Prussians started to finance and subsidize public and private centers that did research on biological uh, medicine, mid-19th century and last, last third of the 19th century. It was the origin of the Koch uh, and the Pasteur uh, uh, advances on uh, the origins, the bacteriological origins of many infections that we are we, we are thankful for because they led to the origin of many vaccines against uh, cholera, against tuberculosis, against rabbi. But many of these vaccines were subsidized by the Prussian army or by the French army and the French government because they, they, they try to beat their enemies. They try to beat their enemies not in the battlefront where they were losing, clearly, but in the hospitals. In the hospitals, most of the soldiers were dying not because of bullets. They were dying because of infections and blood losses. So they discovered they had to finance not just bullet production and manufacturing, but also vaccine and and, and blood transfusion uh, researches to prevent those losses. So in Germany, uh, as in France, but in a different way, Germany, as you know, unified as a country after the 1850s, right in the middle of these wars with France. So you un- territorially speaking, politically speaking, Germany was extremely different to France in the 19th century when this uh, search for new uh, biological knowledge was produced, because Germany was the juxtaposition of many small territories with many different traditions, duchies, uh, dukes, princes, uh, all were having small ownership of small territories with their own currencies, their own tax systems. It was extremely slow to unify Germany because they had Many small regional and local traditions. This is very important because when modern science in medicine and hospital management emerged, it was in a country where smallness and local knowledge was extremely appreciated. Germany didn't like standardization. Germany protected local traditions and local uh, institutions in medical assistance, in healthcare centers. They didn't like a unified hospital system in the 19th century. They very much protected the development of modern, locally or regionally based hospitals and locally and regionally based universities and faculties of medicine. That was extremely different to the US. In the US, right in the same years, 1860s, they finished their civil war. Right. And after the civil war, they had the war against Spain for Cuba in both events, military events, same thing happened as in Germany. Lots of people were dying in the battlefront, not because of bullets, but because blood loss and because of infections of many surgeries that remain not well attended. There was no anesthesia. There were no surgical protection against complications of surgeries. So most of the soldiers died of other complicated things that today could have been N- not solved 100%, but heavily reduced with the tools that we have today that didn't exist at the time. So for the same resources in Germany because of war, in the US, the army and the government of the US started having a lot of meetings with the deans of many faculties of medicine. Woodrow Wilson uh, appointed uh, Franklin Martin uh, in order to start the conversations with all the schools of medicine, with all the directors of hospitals and with all the main uh, military responsible persons that were supervising also military hospitals in the country, some in the West, some in the East. So these meetings aimed to do something which was the same as in Germany, try to improve the way civilians but also military people were attended in the hospitals in case of large demand because of wars but not only wars but they did it in the u.s different to germany in the years they did it, they did it not protecting local traditions they did it aiming to standardization aiming to cooperation aiming to professionalization and doing it in the same way they what they wanted was to prevent localness approaches to modern medicine and modern healthcare assistance. So in face of the same problem, the solutions were completely different. Cooperation, standardization, a, 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 a nationwide effort of trying to do things in a similar way, whereas in Germany, because they had a different origin, small territories with local rulers of medieval times, they aim to protect local and regional traditions, even in healthcare care assistance. So that led to two different models. And these examples help explain why, for instance, in Germany, Charité had their own tradition, their own reputation, which was protected and which was very different to other faculties or other hospitals in the country. And and that's why they they had a a good reputation of the kind of professors, the kind of uh, traditions. It's true that Germans uh, had something that was possibly initiated in Germany that, yes, was imitated in the U.S. and elsewhere in the world, which was uh, the German uh, the German practice of uh, using laboratories Inside of the hospitals and having laboratories inside of the faculties of medicine, that was not typical of medieval times. Usually, pharmacies were never inside uh, uh, the faculty of medicine. But Germans understood due to their knowledge financed by the state for military reasons, they understood that uh, schools of medicine had to have their own labs in order to experiment much better in close connection what was being studied in theory, what was being observed in practical uh work in the laboratory so the connection between theory and practice was achieved in germany possibly better and earlier than in other countries and the u.s sent many uh the directors of hospitals many military uh, responsible persons of hospitals in order to learn how they did it and yes so there were different traditions for different uh, path-dependent conditions, but there were some ideas that started um, traveling. The In Japan, for instance, it was a, a completely different tradition, but more connected with the Prussian, the German one, than with the US. But still, it was interesting because in Japan, as in Germany, by the way, uh, scientists and doctors in the 19th century traveled a lot even in war times, many doctors from Japan traveled to the laboratories of German uh, hospitals and German institutes to learn. And many U.S. people also in the middle of the world also traveled to France and Germany and the U.K. in order to learn. Uh, innovations that were being discovered, so there was a big traveling, a big knowledge transfer of individuals that were very innovative, that were sources of knowledge coming back to their home that helped achieve, even if institutions remain essentially different because of their different history in every country, there were what I call uh, scientists, entrepreneurs, innovative scientists that were themselves bridges of innovation with the troubles. And that was very nice to see in the 19th century. Today, innovation is not really done by individuals, it's done by teams in hospitals or in health centers or institutes. But in the 19th century, it was persons that, with or without a state support, with or without philanthropic foundations founding them, those individuals traveled, reached their lives, tried their innovations they saw in other countries, and were in different institutional settings trying to introduce these technical, scientific things that were being introduced in parallel ways in different countries of the world. In Japan, as I was saying, as you know, Japan was also a country with uh, problems in the 19th century. They had their Meiji revolution, more or less same years as the uh, civil war in the U.S. So they also had wars like Prussia. So the, the leading countries in the 1860s in the world were countries at the Who would imagine that they would be countries innovating in medicine and hospital management? But yes, Precisely because they were at the war, and because they had very innovative scientists, there was a situation in which experiments could be performed with state authorization. That possibly, in peace times, in times of peace and, and, and normal conditions, maybe those experiments could have not been performed. That's something that my book is also revealing. That often, as in other industries, often innovation takes place during times of conflict, times of war, times of crisis, times of pandemia. It's when more problems, more pressures, more more difficult uh, uh, situations, it's when authorities allow to perform things that maybe are not allowed in normal conditions. And this In terms of uh, health, in terms of hospital management, were at times for change and in many ways for doing bad things. We cannot be innocent. There were many experiments that were not very nice. Many uh, uh, clinical trials in the 19th century, as until today, are performed. For instance, with poor people, marginal people, with prisoners in public prisons. So, in order to try vaccines or so secondary effects, if they produce something nobody cares. So we we are, we must not be innocent, uh, thinking that innovation is something pure like a white dove. Uh, innovation has a dark side, and in war times especially. So the more you innovate, the more possible secondary effects. Uh, Run that have remained not very controlled. Um, The thing is that in Japan there was war, the major revolution in the 1860s, as in Prussia or as in the US. So the context was similar, military needs, soldiers dying, civilians pressed by war conditions, uh, more health problems everywhere among civilians and military people. How did they solve? Uh, In the case of Japan. They saw it similarly like in Germany. Japan is an island. It's a very, very small country. So as in Germany, because of their smallness (laughs) and because of the existence of previous medieval local traditions, very strong, also they responded with a model of modern hospitals that remained locally independent to some extent. There was some private... The difference with Germany was that in Germany there was like a, a, a state uh, control of this regional diversity, but in Japan the state did not care much about health. Uh, they were more occupied with uh, military and also with the unification of the country under with new uh, authorities and a new model of economic growth, in order to try to learn from the US and improve their economic growth so in japan the priorities were not um, health they did not have the research centers and the scientists that had um, that germany had germany poland hungary were great centers since medieval times since the times of copernicus Uh, Eastern Europe had been a great place with Lutero and the Protestant reform, maybe for religious reasons, in Germany and the Eastern European countries since the 15th and 16th century. There had been a religious atmosphere that helped the scientific revolution there. And this Uh, expanded time since the 16th, 17th century onwards, in Germany or Hungary or Poland, meant that there was a strong old tradition in Eastern Europe of science and medicine that was not the same in Japan. In Japan, we had in the 16th, 17th, 18th century, a country of serfdom, of samurais, of a feudal system, uh, with a strong Confucian ideology, in which innovation was uh, prohibited or prosecuted. So the atmosphere was not an atmosphere of freedom for scientific research. It was a, an atmosphere of control, medieval control, feudal control. So. In the 19th century, when there was the need to improve hospitals due to the major revolution and and the end of the feudal system in Japan and the beginning of the modernization of Japan, the old feudal traditions meant that there was no old tradition of scientists and entrepreneurs as in Germany. So Japan had to run fast and they they did it by traveling, sending many of their scientists to learn abroad, to Germany, to the US, uh, France, the UK. So Japanese eagerly, as an industry, they tried to absorb very fast a tradition of innovation and modernization that they didn't have because of this past medieval time. But once they had these ideas from abroad, they adapted them to the local institutional settings. Very local, uh, with, with a big power given to free market forces. In Japan, there were many private clinics that charge uh, fees that had no control. In Germany, uh, the medical fees had control by the authorities. Uh So in Japan, as Pierre-Yves Donce, a well-known professor from the University of Osaka, of Osaka, he has demonstrated how in Japan the modern hospital system was in fact a, a system of very small, many small private clinics and labs and hospitals, many, competing freely in the market with high tariffs without government control of the tariffs. So that was a great incentive to do research, to do great pharmaceutical companies because there was a market without problems of of growing without control of the prices of the for the services or the medicines they were used in Japan. So that was one of the reasons for to understand today the existence of large Japanese pharmaceutical companies or, or large uh, hospitals in in Japan that are private and completely mm, approved by their public uh, authorities. So similar context, uh, uh, similar, not context, but similar situations, worse, produced apparently similar needs, but the answers were completely different depending on the local situations, as you see, comparing Germany, the US and Japan. Standardization in the US, regional, uh, very competitive scientific centers in Germany, and a very large number of small private clinics charging freely in their prices in Japan.
1: This is, yeah, thank you so much. This is fascinating. I think it um, also the point that you mentioned about traveling, um, it just makes it such a so it's an interesting case of global history and um, not only comparative, but all these connections and, and networks created uh, because of, of um, the ad- advancement of uh, um, health management is uh, very interesting. And to, to finish, I want to um, to ask you about this. How one does research on 20 countries? And you mentioned a little bit about digitized um, sources but um, could you also talk a little bit about how um, hospital archives are in a way also business archives um, corporate records right um, we I don't think um, researchers or students could could see that <laughs> that um, connection there or uh, or maybe we should and then to finish if you can, you know, you, you wrote until nineteen thirties. Um, what goes What goes after that? Uh, is there another Is there another transformation that we we should start thinking about writing another book?
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, thank you, Paula. First of all, how to research? Uh, first of all, being very humble. I'm being very aware of the difficulties. So, um, the more you're aware of the difficulties, the more you will invest time and effort to find alternative sources. Uh, there are three major sources that I would recommend for uh, starting a research on, on on healthcare centers and institutions from a business history perspective. One is uh, sources from the hospital archives and the laboratories archives both because they are connected and especially for a business history approach uh, the minutes of the council boards are essential number one sources because there you will see the strategies the priorities the conflicts uh, and the major directions to solve problems and conflicts and how it it's a way to see the different forces that were struggling, forces of tradition, forces of modernity, and how in some places, in some periods, uh, forces of modernity could not win the struggle and were defeated by forces of tradition. Uh, When you see this, uh, you realize uh, countries or hospitals that had been very slow in modernizing and today are sources of problem to solve the COVID. Like for instance, in Central America, uh, where there are very few hospital beds and and very few nurses or, or, or doctors there. So by studying the minutes of the council boards, you see many things that explain why some countries seem to be it well and some others don't. Also, hospitals have account books. They have daily accounts, but also annual accounts. And most hospitals have kept very well those accounts. They are precious jewels. With those accounts, you can do all kinds of um, studies, some economy. Historians uh, can do uh, studies about the improvement in the dietary intake. And also, some economic historians have studied the evolution in the stature of uh, the population by or in the growth of children. Or reasons for, to understand the improvement of well-being of the population by looking at the morbidity of the patients that were uh, in the hospitals in, in key periods of transition. So there are so many things. That's one source. So uh, hospital archives, but there are other two sources that I strongly recommend because The good thing about hospital sources is what I have just said, but the bad thing is that you will remain always doubting whether you what you have found for that uh, particular hospital is singular or is something common to all hospitals uh, in your territory and the time period you're studying. You will always have that doubt if you don't compare. How you compare? That's a key problem. And that's a problem I had to face in my book and the new books that I'm preparing now. The problem, it's easy to find sources for a particular hospital, very easy. You can do great history of particular hospitals, but who would care just about that particular hospital? You don't know. More people are interested about comparisons. To compare, I strongly recommend looking for two things. One, international institutions and organizations. The League of Nations, in particular, in the early 20th century until the 1910s, 1920s, the archives are preserved in Geneva, in the archives of the United Nations, and many, many documents are digitalized. Now, with the COVID, they are providing free access to the, those documents, and the League of uh, Nations uh, made a lot of surveys, or had a lot of letters and reports and diaries and many documents from many countries, not all countries, and not with the same quality of information, but still is a great source. United Nations or the World Health Organization that were born in the second half of the 20th century are great sources for the period after mid 20th century. A third source that I would strongly recommend is Diaries of Travelers. That's a great source. In early modern times, it was a great source, but in early 20th century, they still are a great source of uh, knowledge, especially if you tried to find information from surgeons and doctors who traveled and published the reports. I discovered that uh, in the 19th century and early 20th century, many associations of surgeons, scientists were created, uh, and they, kept, they usually had their bulletins with a lot of reports, many are technical about specific vaccines, medicines, or problems, how to perform a surgery. But suddenly you can find a wonderful report about the situation of hospitals in South America, for instance, with the wealth of data. So it's not easy to find that jewel in the archives, but I strongly recommend being patient and read the abundant wealth of uh, bulletins, journals, biographies of surgeons and doctors that are in every country, and especially their bulletins or books of travels of uh, doctors around, which may provide jewels, jewels that compare hospitals, nurses, doctors, and resources, medicines, ways of dealing with pandemics that, There's no other source that is right now available in order to really know uh, a comparative perspective of the evolution and the dynamics of health systems in the world.
1: Great. Thank you so much. That is very helpful. So I think we're going to conclude here. Uh, Again, Dr. Fernandez Perez's book is um, The Emergence of Modern Hospital Management and Organization in the World. 1880s to 1930s. It was published 20 in 2021 by Emerald Publishers. And um, thank you so much, uh, Dr. Fernandez Perez, for joining me today. Thank you, Paula. Um, there are other um, interviews with uh, Paloma Fernandez Perez at uh, the in the uh, website of the Aso- Asociación Española. The historia economica and also in the podcast um, rethinking economics you can hear more about her book and about her um, um, discussions of the modern the uh, current pandemic and uh, how for example the government of spain is dealing with with vaccinations and europe as a whole i, I welcome you to to listen to those um, interviews as well and uh, this has been um, an interview for the new books uh, in business history, new series, a new channel, and uh, I hope you enjoyed it and you uh, come back to, to this channel. Thank you very much. This is your host, uh, Paula de la Cruz Fernandez.